Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I, I have to be honest with you. I don't even like reading that portion of Scripture because it's, it's very disheartening. It is a, uh, it's a good story that went bad. Hezekiah was a great king and a great man. And I, I, I truly, I don't discredit him, nor do I think ill of him, because if I look at my own life, well, certainly I'm not, sure don't need to carry no stones in my pocket. It's funny, though, the guys that live the worst are usually the ones that have the most rocks, too. And Hezekiah had almost died just before this event took place. And in fact, the same prophet Isaiah had went to him and told him, you know, you need to set your house in order because you're going to die. And Hezekiah was a relatively young man. And after Isaiah left, he went and fell up against the wall and cried. And, and you know, that's usually, that's usually what happens when you find out you're going to die is you go somewhere and cry. Normally, when someone receives a death sentence through sickness or disease, the doctors will always leave the family alone to try and let them adjust to this news that they've just heard. And so this is what happened to Hezekiah. And he went and wept against the wall and pled his case before God that he didn't want to die. And God heard his prayer. And so Isaiah, who was still in the outer court, hadn't even really left the building. God spoke to him, said, go back and tell him that I heard his prayer, I saw his tears, and I've added to him 15 years. And so Isaiah went back and told him. Now, it doesn't really pertain to what I'm going to talk about today, but it, it is interesting to me that when Hezekiah received that terrible news, he just accepted it. And I think that we're a lot like that. Bad news comes along, we just, oh, fall apart. And we, we, we don't stop to think. We, we really don't, especially as Christian people. And my comments today, I, I make this disclaimer a lot of the places I go. My comments here today apply to America and to you, not to the people in Bangladesh. I'm not over there. I'm here. And so uh, when, when he receives this news, he just falls apart. There's no questions. There's nothing. He just starts begging and pleading. He's, he assumes he's going to die. So Isaiah comes back in. He says, Hezekiah, I need to talk to you again. He said, God's added to your life 15 years. Now he wants a sign. Good news, something good's going to happen to you. Well, that's hard for me to believe. Give me a sign. Bad news, okay. Now, you could say we're not like that, but that's exactly how we are. We receive bad news without any question, and there's plenty of it to receive. 
Bad news travels fast. Good news can't even get the envelope stamped. And so Isaiah being patient with him and God being patient with him says, well, you know, here's what I'll do. I can move the sun forward 10 degrees or I can move the sun backwards 10 degrees. Well, I would have thought that either one would have been pretty good. I mean, if God could move up a little bit, the sun on my benefit, for my benefit, man, that's a pretty big deal. But not Hezekiah. Hezekiah said, hmm, it's an easy thing for the sun to go forward 10 degrees. It's going there anyway. But if you moved it backwards, then I would know. Then I would know. If you could just give me a sign that everything's going to be okay. Can I tell you that the word of God that you have in your possession does not have to have a confirmation if God said it, he will stand by it. And so the sun went backward 10 degrees and Hezekiah knew that he was going to live and he was excited, 15 years. Well, shortly thereafter is when these Babylonians show up. Now, Babylon was not Hezekiah's friends. They did have some common enemies, the Assyrians, but they were not friends and they were ungodly, unsanctified, and unholy people. And I'm going to inject some thinking in here this morning, if you'll just indulge me. Hezekiah hung out with some guys that were not of his faith when it came to the welfare of his country. Whew. Boy, that's stronger than garlic. I can't believe I even said that. Now, people say, and again... This is a sidebar. People say that politics have no place in the church. That's what people say. They will argue with you and say, politics don't belong in the church. Well, I've got some bad news for you. You cannot get politics out of the church because the church is wrapped in politics. In fact, your being here today is political. No, no, oh no, not me. Yes, you. Because the freedom of worship is wrapped up in a political document in the United States. Remember, we're not in Bangladesh. If it were not for that document, you could not even have these services. Some countries, most countries, have no religious freedom. America is not only the number one giving country in the world, but they have more freedoms than any other country in the world. And the freedom of America that we say, oh yeah, that's because we fear God, hogwash. If the fear of God's active in America today, I wish somebody would tell me where it's at. I'd like to go snap a picture so I could keep it to remember. We are here in America and live like we do. Your lifestyle is different than any other country on the planet. Do you know that? You shop when you want to shop, eat where you want to eat, go to movies if you want to go to a movies, go to the mall. You, do have, you have all these rights, and we think these rights are inalienable. We, we have, we view, it's the right for me to have this. It's a right for me to do this. It's a right for that, and it's a right for this. That's why we have abortion. Because we had some fool that came along and said, you know, you should have a right to kill an unborn child. 
That should be the woman's right. And they weren't satisfied with killing the child if it was a result of a rape or incest. They pursued it even further. Roe v. Wade was not about rape and incest. I will tell you that. See, and this was all political. But do you know who those politics affected the most? They affected the church of Jesus Christ in America more than anybody else. You cannot separate politics from us because we are the reason for politics. The devil is behind the political structure of most countries and the devil has one agenda. I want to destroy the people of God. I want to harm the body of Christ and I will use any method and any means with which I can to destroy them and hurt them. So how do you take politics out of it? You can come to me after church and give me your answer and we'll laugh together. Because you can't take it out. So you protect lifestyles now instead of righteousness. Now we're more concerned with protecting our lifestyles. The lifestyle that we created. Well, you know, I I have the right to do this. And I have the right to buy that house. I have the right to buy that car. I have the right. You have a lot of rights here. That you, if you left here and said, well, I'm going to bundle up my rights and take them with me over to Iran. And then I will live the same life in Iran that I'm living here. Good luck. You'll lose your head there. Some of you lost your head before you left. And you can say, well, then I'll go to Europe. Well, good luck there. Because 99% of the countries in Europe don't recognize your rights. Because your rights come from this one document. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever looked at it like that? Pretty good question, isn't it? That one document protects your rights. So why should we care? Why should we care who gets put into political offices? Well, because we're not really trying to protect a lifestyle necessarily as much as we're trying to protect this document that gives us the right to do the things we do, that gives us the right to be here today. That gives us the right to lift our hands and sometimes act crazy and and do things that that other folks would have you put away. Things that you cannot do in 95% of the other countries in the world because you don't have that protection. And so when people talk about, and this is not political either, but it has to be political. You can't can't get away from politics if you're going to protect what you're doing. So you could sit home and say, well, I'm not going to go to church because I'm a Christian and God will take care of this. Then I would advise you stop eating, going to the bathroom and all the other things you do. Let God take care of it. One lady wrote me last week and said, Pastor East, I disagree with you. I think we need to employ what would Jesus do? Okay, let's employ that on everything. Turn your TV on. What would Jesus do? Smoke a cigarette. What would Jesus do? What movie are you going to? Would Jesus watch that movie? Would Jesus eat this food? Would Jesus drink this Coke? Would Jesus have a diet drink that's full of poison? And would he do it deliberately? See, you pull that WWJD card, you're opening a can of worms. Because you can't just apply it to what you want to apply it to. And that's what we do. We pick and choose. Same thing we've done with the Bible. Is 
we pick out the parts we like and skip over the ones we don't. And we've made God a vending machine. Let's see, I want number A4. Oh, I don't want that one. I don't, no, no, I, don't, I want this one. We think that God, we really think that God's an idiot in America. And look what it's gotten us. Look where we are. This year is the most important year in American history right now. Because what it took 200 plus years to build into now can, can very possibly be all changed in one election. And I told you I'm not preaching politics. I'm honestly not because honestly, of all the candidates that ran for president this year, really, if you bundled them all up together, you wouldn't get one decent man or woman. You, you, you wouldn't. They, they were all worthless. But have we ever had a perfect political candidate? No. No, we have not. Well, Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan he, he was a good man. I mean, as far as, as core values. But was Ronald Reagan born again? Well, what about Abe Lincoln? Was, was Abe Lincoln born again? George Washington, was George Washington born again? We have no record of any president in the history of the United States being born again of the water and the spirit who received the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. We have no record of any president ever displaying and manifesting the gifts of the spirit. We only have two presidents that ever called for prayer and fasting. Most all were involved in scandals of some sort. That's just history. You go back to Kennedy. He was a womanizer. He had an affair with Marilyn Monroe. Amen. Lyndon Johnson, good old Texas boy, the most vulgar-mouthed scoundrel that ever breathed God's air. I lived less than 30 minutes from him. He was a scoundrel and a thief. He dropped those words, man. He made Donald Trump look pretty. And Donald Trump is a filthy mouth, vulgar pig. Do you agree? Come on, agree. You know it's the truth. So what have we always tried to choose to govern this country that protects our rights? Whatever was the best out there. You say, well, I should never have to choose between the lesser of two evils. You've been doing that your whole life. Are you really that naive? At every level, whoever ran for mayor in your country. And I wonder how many people, when they go to hire a lawyer to get them out of trouble, I need your resume. Where do you go to church? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? No. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that most attorneys are low-life scumbag scoundrels. In Texas, a rattlesnake will not bite a lawyer. Professional courtesy. But yet, we don't ask no questions of the lawyer. And when you go to the doctor, doc, I need to know. Now, I know that you're going to perform this. I need to know what your political background is. What kind of a man are you? Are you, are you a good man? Are you a bad man? Do you cuss? You don't do that. But yet, we come to a time like this, and all at once, we all become holy. Isn't that amazing? Now, I know you think this is a spill, and it's not. It's just truth. And I think that even God's people should listen to truth on occasion. What, what is going to protect this document 
that allows you to do what you're doing this morning. Look at that. Yes, I'm concerned about it. I've got 28 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Am I concerned? Absolutely I'm concerned because it's their future. Be realistic, folks. Let's, let's stop being naive. I, I, that's the easiest word I can use on you. I didn't want to bring stupid to the plant. Yeah, yeah, I, I hated to do that. And, and I promised I was going to use idiot as little as possible. But use our heads. If we don't have somebody, even if they drink and smoke and curse, if we don't have somebody that says, well, look, like Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, he had that, that guy was pretty stiff. I mean, he burned people up. He, he cut people's heads off. He did all that. But for some reason, he smiled on the people of God. And so the people of God, they did what Nebuchadnezzar said because Nebuchadnezzar, the Pharaoh, when Joseph was alive, Pharaoh didn't believe in God. He hated God. But Pharaoh allowed God's people to continue their worship, to continue their lives as they wanted to and worship their God. Do you get the logic there? So what, what person should I support? You know, it's not that I'm supporting them. It's not that I even like them. But God knows you got a lot of people in your, there's a lot. Of, I could ask every one of you to raise a hand. You say, yeah, I got family that's lost. They're going to die and go straight to hell. I'd like a little bit more time to get them straightened out. I'd like a little bit more time to bring them into the fold and, and, and get them full of God's spirit. And if they take all of these rights away, then I can't do that as easily as I could right now. So what they were saying to Hezekiah is because you've shirked your responsibilities, you've let down. And because of that, they're going to take your children away. That's what he said to him. And Hezekiah makes this statement that I, I can't wrap myself around this. He says, is that going to be in my day? No, it's not going to happen in your day. Well, can I tell you, brother, that chances are a lot of these horrible things that are, America is on a direct collision course with it. And a lot of these horrible things that are coming to America, they're unavoidable will not happen in our day. We probably won't live to see it, but we might. I'm not saying you're old, because I'm older than you are. You just look older than I do. <laughs> Those things are coming, and we can't avoid them. But why would we try to hurry them up? By shirking our duty. You see, as a Christian, you have a responsibility you say, yeah, my responsibility is to my family. No, your responsibility is to righteousness. Your responsibility is to the beggar on the street that you've never laid an eye on as much as it is to your own son or daughter. You may not like that kind of talk, but that's what the Bible says. That's why Jesus said when they told him his mother's out there, he said, who is my mother? This is my mother. This is my father. I'm going to tell you that everybody you come in contact with is your mother and your father and your sister and your brother. And God has given you an obligation to them. And if you shirk that obligation, you fail God and you set yourself up for failure. Plus, you shorten the lifespan of some people get involved in life 
and quit saying somebody else, they'll fix it. Who is they? Somebody please tell me who they is. I'll tell you who they is. They is me. Me is us. We is them. It's us. It's our responsibility. Our responsibility. I would like to know that I'm going to leave enough that the next generation can run with it. But I'm not going to I'm not going to pick up this philosophy. Well, I'm just going to sit back and and let it happen because I trust in God. Well, I, I tell you this, God don't trust in you. You may say in God we trust, but God's saying, ooh, I don't trust them. That's why the guy that went and buried what he had in a hole and sat on it, God said, I'm going to take what he had and give to the guy that's got the most. So your obligations are real. And you need to understand what your obligations are. Your obligations go far beyond these four walls. In fact, these four walls, you spend less time here than you do out doing pleasurous things that you like doing. That's the truth as well. You spend more time doing other things than you do in here. But yes, this is, this is, yeah, this is a place of safety for us. When we come here, we feel safe. Because this is the house of God that we dedicated to be the house of God. But that can be taken away. Well, if it does, we'll just, we'll just meet in the caves. We'll hide in the forest and we'll have revival by the pond. Yeah, when it's 30 below. I don't have to worry about that down in Texas. But you folks got a little problem there. You got no place to go. It's 30 below. So you can't fall back on that. Well, you know, it really goes a little further than that. If you can't serve God with your whole heart in this atmosphere, if it gets worse, you sure enough are going to fall by the wayside. That's why you can understand when people, when it talks about the great tribulation and the mark of the beast, and you say, I would never take that, wouldn't you? I know people that you say, I'll never take a flu shot. Take them now. In fact, we got a lot of people doing things they said they'd never do. I would never do that. Do you think they're just going to jump up one morning with, and, and have a coin and give you a coin with three heads on it that says 666 and say, here, take this. It's the only way you can go. No, I'll never take that. You think that's how they're going to do it? No, it's much more subtle than that. In fact, everything starts with preparation. We didn't get where we are now in America in the last five years or 10 years. This has been going on for 150 or 60 years. That the, pl the plate's been set. Everything's been worked on. They're trying. It's a very subtle move to suck us into it. And the weak fall by the wayside. And one day you wake up and say, what have I done? The problem here is that once you cross that imaginary line, you can't just do like you've always done in the past and say, change my mind. There is a place that you can reach that you can't come back from. That's a tragedy. But there is a place that a man can go to where he cannot come back. If this puts you to sleep, you really need to think about what I'm saying. So, the reason I'm here today is because Brother Kylie had a weak moment.
No. I'm here today to ask you a question. And, and I pray that you will not ever forget this question. When I minister, speak, preach, whatever you'd like to, to call it, about giving, I am not talking just about money. I've known people that, I know people right now that give a fortune and live like the devil. And most every businessman in the country gives to a church. That's why you, if you look at the Methodist churches, the Presbyterian church, you ever notice their buildings? Man, whew, I mean, they have serious buildings. And you think, where do they get that money? Well, they have good tithe-paying people that are full of the Holy Ghost there. No, that's the one thing they don't have. So where do they get that money? Well, it comes from big businessmen that give for two reasons and wealthy people that give for two reasons. The first reason that they give is because they get a deduction. Son, I am on fire today. And the second reason they give is to appease their conscience. And they think that if they give money to something charitable, that they will attain the bless obtain the blessings of God. Yet the scripture does not teach that at all. There is no Bible verse to support that. I called yesterday and had a lengthy conversation with a, a notable CPA in the Dallas area, downtown high rise. Because I wanted an answer from somebody up at the top that could tell me about the business end of this. And I said, tell me, what effect will it have on the church, the true, true church of Jesus Christ when they take away the tax-exempt status? He said, catastrophic. He said, it will be dramatic. I said, tell me why. I already knew why. See, I'm, I'm eighth grade, I learned more than they thought I did. I already knew why. He said, because it will, it will stop the incentive to give. And people will now not be as inclined to give because they're not going to get that 35 or 40% deduction. And those that really aren't so concerned with that they will even cut back on their giving because, they, they, you know, they're doing the numbers. You know, if, I got to, if I'm going to lose this 35 or 40%, I've got to figure out where to cut it somewhere else. So I'll just cut my giving and take my lumps. So it affects the church starts to, man, what are we going to do? Because we become dependent on, on that giving in order to sustain ourselves. Perhaps that was a mistake on our forefathers' part. Now, let's don't forefather too far back. I don't want to go back and, and blame the early, early fellas. We, we can't go back quite that far because those fellas didn't have nothing. You know, it stands to reason if you don't have nothing, your responsibility shrinks. If you're riding a bicycle and they repo it, it didn't really hurt you. Bicycles are pretty easy to get. If you're driving an Escalade, that's a little bit bigger problem. It's good stuff, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's good stuff. 
You can't just hear this anywhere. I mean, Benny Hinn ain't preaching this. I'll tell you that much. And so if you use these examples that I've just given you, and I listen to the, to the guy that's in the Dallas high rise, they're on top of this stuff. Do you know that in the last eight years, there, there have been more foreclosures on churches than all of history combined? How about that? And the audits are unbelievable on people that give to churches. Why would that be? Why would that be? Because the devil who is behind all of this, he wants to go not to just what we see blowing in the wind. He wants to go to the root. He, he wants to go to the substance and attack that. So he attacks that to get to the church of Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you've been born again of the water and the spirit and you are really trying to live your life for Jesus Christ, you are in a minority, but you are in the catbird seat. There is no better place on earth than you could be than in the church of Jesus Christ, knowing that your call and election has been made sure, knowing that the power of God is in your life knowing that you've got a future I wouldn't trade places right now with anybody I, I, I mean that if, if they offered me I, I can say it with a straight face because and you may not believe this I have turned stuff down that you absolutely would not believe I had a gentleman one day that had he was worth 30 million dollars he wrote a big check five digits he wrote it and pushed it across the table to me he said, brother, he said, there, that's for you. I have spoken to that man's life. Now, when I said I've spoken to his life, I didn't come up and say, brother, I feel like there's sometime in the future, you're going to face a problem. Whew, boy, isn't that profound. It's like these televangelists got 90, 90 million people out there. And so somebody there has a backache. Oh, dear God, boy, that was, oh, that was deep. There's a diabetic in here. So Really? But I spoke into this man's life. He had a book up on a shelf in his big office. That book was that thick. It was about his divorce that involved millions of dollars. I'd never met the man before in my life. Never seen him. And I'm sitting there. And he's sharing all this stuff with me about. Went through this divorce. We divided millions of dollars. And boy, he was just talking about. And you know, now she's broke. And I've doubled my fortune. And I've done all of this. And he went on and on for a better part of two hours. He said, is there anything you, anything you, you got a word for me? We hear a lot of that nowadays, don't we? Got a lot of people walking around at the altar saying, I have a word for you. Boy, when somebody tells me, me that, you know, I go, my teeth start chattering. I'm thinking, dear God, what am I going to hear now? And he said, I said, yeah, I do. He said, what is it? And I said, God said, you need to get rid of that book up on that shelf. Because you're allowing your past to dictate your future. You need to get rid of that book. He's looking at me and he's thinking, who is this guy to come in here and tell me? I said, you asked for a word, I gave it to you. I got up and left. I come back a few weeks later, passing through that town, and he'd reach out to me. Come on by, come on by. So I went by, and he says, come on over to my office. I went over to his office, and he said, do you have a word for me? He said, I've been having a dream. He said, every time I have that dream, it means this amount of money. He told me that several times, you know, that's monkey shine. And I said to him, I said, yeah, I said, God spoke to me. 
He said, what did God tell you? I said, God told me you were to write me a check out for this large amount of money. I said, and right now. He said, well, I said, no, no questions. And he's, a, he's, a, he's in charge. He never is, is used to somebody telling him what to do. I said, I don't want to hear anything you got to say. That's what God said. You do it or you don't do it. And you do it right now. There's no, you can't do it later. It's right now or never. He said, well, I said, no, well, I don't want to hear nothing. He picked up his, his, hit a button over there and he said to his secretary, he said, bring the checkbook in here and write out a check to Mike East for this amount of money. She comes in there a few minutes later. He takes that check and says, Brother East, I did exactly what you said. I picked up his check and tore it in half and I laid it on the ground. I said, I can't be bought with money. God cares more about why. You, you keep that book, but you'll give me a check and you don't even know who I am, but you won't get rid of that book. You won't change your life. You won't walk for God. I don't want your money. I can't be bought. And the day that I start taking their checks, that's the day I'm going to lay down my Bible and go home and sit out on the front porch because God wants us to know the truth. God wants you to be saved. I don't care how big your home is or how much money you've got or what your retirement is. I care if you're going to be saved. I don't want to leave a trail of dead people behind me that don't know the truth of God's word. I want to know that I touch somebody with the truth. If you can't give, you can't be given to. Next time you read about these people that win the lottery, read the reviews. Read what it says. Nearly everybody that comes into these large sums of money, first thing they say is, I'm going to get rid of my debt. I'm going to get out of debt. How many people do you know that say I'm working hard to get out of debt. I want to get out of debt. And usually we work hard to get out of debt so we can get back in debt. And then when we get back in debt, we get bigger debt than we had before because we're now capable of handling bigger debt. We're no different today than they were on the day of Pentecost. And their entire lesson in life was Keep yourself free from debt. Because if the, the more you're free from, the more you're free to give to. And giving is everything. And I'm going to tell you, it's funny that that word giving is, is, comes from a, or the word forgiving is, is kind of comes from the root word giving. Forgiving. And so when you give, it's given. When you give right. See, you can give wrong, Will. A person can. Will's my friend. I can pick him out. You can give the wrong way. You give in the wrong spirit. You may as well ate that money. Because God ain't going to bless you for it. It's when you give with the right spirit. You know what kind of a giver God likes? A cheerful giver. Not one that's X, Y, Z, dash, dot, exclamation mark. You know what that means. He can't part with it. So if we want God to give to us, we have to be able to give to him. And if we want God to forgive us, we have to be forgiven by him. And the only way we can be forgiven by him is for us to forgive others. That is why I've never preached in this, in, I've never preached in this church without talking about if you got something against your brother, you better go make it right today because all of your sins are with you. If there's anything hovering over you and you can't fix it, then God's presence is not with you. 
He's not there. God can't lie. If you got somebody you're not speaking to that you're mad at, that when you sit around and talk, talk about them like they're a dog, then you come down here and get up there and sing on the platform. You hypocrite. I don't think you're that way. Well, I saw your face. It started to fall. That's what hypocrisy is. Pretending you're something that you're not. And so, we, I made it a point, God. What is the point? What is the point of asking God to fill this church up if the ones that are here are corrupt? Well, if we fill it up, we'd have more money. Yeah, but you'd fill it up with innocent sheep from off the street who are going to be corrupted and become a twofold a child of hell just like you. And I'm not saying you people that just, please, I'm, I'm speaking in generalities. I'm sure there's some here, though. One guy says to me, he says, And every time you come to my church, you preach the same thing. He said, yet people like you more than they do anybody else. I sell more of your DVDs or whatever they make than I do anybody. I was complimented, but also I didn't like it. You preach the same thing, like I'm one-dimensional. So my response was, well, if you got it right the first time, I wouldn't have to say it over again. Won't you just do what you're supposed to? Won't you quit lollygagging around? Quit making excuses. Come here and get pumped up, leave, go back to what you came from. No changes. If you're going to make a change here, be prepared to make a change at home and work. Because you can't have one life here and another life out there. You can't be this on Friday and something else on Sunday. When you get the real deal down inside your soul, I promise you, 24 hours a day, it will go with you. And if not, then you don't have nothing. And you don't, God doesn't come in portions. The church, the body of Christ is not body parts. You either have it or you don't. Thank you. She always helps me. You know, this is granddaughter by marriage. So sitting on the front row, you should know better. Jacob, always, Papa, I want a lot of kids. I'm just telling you, you knew that when you married him. So, where is he today? Home? He backslid, hadn't he? Go home today and tell him you have good news. And when he says, what, what, say, I'm a little pregnant. anybody that was a little pregnant you either are pregnant or you aren't you're gonna have a baby or you're not you can't say I'm in between I may and I may not well it's the same way with God you can't put God on in portions you can't hang him on the coat rack and then say depending on where I'm going I don't know if I'm gonna wear him ladies and gentlemen God does not work like that you can't manipulate God like you manipulate people If you say you're a Christian, 
You better be a Christian tomorrow when you get to work. You better watch who you talk about and why you talked about them. What comes out of your mouth is worse than anything that goes into your stomach. Anything. It's probably good that Brother Kylie's not here. Here's my question. I didn't get that question out a while ago. Are you giving out a surplus or substance? Why are you giving? What possessed them in the 36th chapter of Exodus when Moses said, we need, need you folks to give offerings? And they started giving. And the Bible said, 36th chapter of Exodus, the Bible said that every morning they brought offerings. Every morning. And finally they reached a point where they had more than they could use. Would y'all like that? No? I mean, I heard a few, hmm. Now, if Brother Kylie was here right now, we'd have to, he'd be jumping up and down dancing. Would you like it if you had to tell everybody, don't give no more? You wouldn't need a heart for the house. You wouldn't need a, a special service. You wouldn't need any of that. Do you know that when people come together and do what's right and get their house clean, get their job clean, get their life clean, you don't have to pump them and prime them and pull them and push them. Our problem nowadays, we don't, you know, in America, we don't have a money problem. Really, we don't. We got a 19, a $19 trillion debt. But really, our problem is not a money problem. It's a distribution problem. It's where the money's going and who, you only got a handful that have it. So we don't have a money problem. We have a distribution problem. And people, there's nothing wrong with having money. And people, we should quit preaching that. We shouldn't preach against the rich. I don't know why people do that. What we should do is teach the rich how to give. Well, how do we teach the rich how to give? I'm about to do it. But you know, it's not just for the rich. Do you know that the giving principle is applicable from zero to 100? It's the same principle to everybody. The same principle. These people kept giving because they were overwhelmed with the presence of God. And when they became overwhelmed, they wanted to give all the time. I have found that to be true in every case, at every level, in 48 years of preaching. That if you get the person right, they'll take care of business. But the devil's divided us. And he divides us on issues. And he divides us on principles. And then a house divided can't stand. And he knows that. So he says, I don't have the power to kill anybody. If he could kill you, Brother Cordell, you would be dead. Immediately dead. We'd haul you out of here. But he can't kill you. He can't hurt you. He can't give you a heart attack. He can't make you fall over dead. All he can do is whisper in your ear. All he can do is su suggest and make you commit suicide. He makes you do stupid things that will lead to destruction. Let me tell you something. The voice that tells a man that makes $35,000 a year to go down and buy a BMW SUV is not the voice of God. 
So if it's not the voice of God, there are only two voices at work on the planet. It's the other guy. And if it's the other guy, why would we want to do what he says? So Moses had to cut him off. He said, stop. Don't give no more. What a problem. What a problem. Wouldn't that be good if Brother Kylie got up and said, look, we just paid the church off. We're completely out of debt. Everything's paid for. We don't own nothing. You don't need, you don't need to give as much as you've been given. You know what? Most churches won't, wouldn't do it anyway. They just tell them, keep on giving, keep on giving, keep on giving. And they like to build up that little stash. They got something to fall back on. I get so tired of hearing that. Fall back on. We're going to build this up. We just keep building. Well, I'm building for my future. I'm building for my children. I'm building for this. Did I not just tell you that this is your children? That's your mother. That's your father. God cares as much about them. Whatever God gives to you, he's expecting you to give to somebody else. God expects you to do for someone else. He doesn't mean put it necessarily in a building fund. It might be a beggar on the street. You're never going to get anything back for it. That's how somebody knows they're saved. When they want to give. Surplus or substance. I have to tell you this story. I'm not going to be much longer. I had a friend. He, he died three or four years ago. He was a country boy of country boys. Grew up right there in Austin, where I did. I used to pastor a lot of his family back in the early 70s, so almost 50 years ago. And he, uh, he got into construction as all he needed, knew. Somehow he got, out, got off into this thing that you could, he could pull up cable that had been laid over since they first started telephone cables and telegraph tables and all, that he could pull that stuff up and roll it up and treat that wire, burn all the stuff off of it, and he could sell it. And he did it at a time when copper and stuff like that was bringing big bucks. And next thing you know, this guy was making millions of dollars. Had no education, none. And he had him a crew and then had another crew and got equipment. And one day he decided, years ago, I'm selling out. He was young. He sold his, and I don't know how many millions of dollars he sold it for, but it was a bunch. And the first thing he did, he started donating money to churches and to preachers, helping preachers remodel their homes. He, he helped build over 50 churches. He was giving that money away. I mean, he was, he'd set it up in a trust just to give to churches and to help the poor. And he and I were good friends. He never built me nothing. I'll just tell you that. I never had to worry about that. It never, he never built me nothing, never gave me no car, never did any of that stuff. We would go and eat together and hang out together, and I'd go to his ranch with him. In fact, I took Brother Kylie. That's where he killed that big ram, you see. It was on that exotic ranch. They had buffalo and, and water buffalo and zebra. They had all kinds of wild stuff down there. That's where Brother Kylie went with me, and I've taken other ministers there. But one day we're driving down the road, and Brother, Brother Hartcraft turns to me. He says, Brother East, you know what? He said, the one thing I'm afraid of, and I said, what's that? He said that I might die and have all that money just sitting in a bank somewhere. That I would die with that surplus of money when there were so many people that I could have helped. Can you imagine? Don't we, don't we realize that if God gives it to us once, he can give it to us twice? Did, did you ever think that maybe 
God didn't intend for you to be a burlap bag that you could just keep stacking it up. Maybe God wanted you to be a funnel. That he could pour stuff into you. That you would, you would get that little hole for it to come out. You could distribute it where it needed to be distributed. You could give to God and God would keep giving to you. And, and God would keep blessing you. And you keep blessing others. That was the principle that God was trying to teach. How do you know that? I read it in the book. Our problem is we become attached to the things that God blesses us with. We take ownership of it. That's my money. That's what Hezekiah did. My house, my wealth, my riches, my land, my cattle, everything's mine. This is mine. And, he's, and so Isaiah said, what did you show him in your house? He said, I showed him everything in my house. He said, because you did that, here's the future of your children. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're getting this. Your children have a future, and a lot of it's being decided by you. The little widow, she walks in, and you know it's amazing that Jesus, there's a key word there. When, when Jesus says that in Luke 21, I'm not going to read this all, but just the very first verse, it says, you can put that up there, brother, if you want to. He says, Jesus, he looked up. That means something got his attention. He looked up, and when he looked up, he saw the rich casting their gifts into the temple treasury. He saw the rich. Jesus looked and saw the rich. And he also saw this little widow woman. She was in line too. So when the rich went by and cast their gifts into the treasury, the little widow woman's right behind them and she cast in two little copper coins. And she threw them in there. They weren't worth nothing. In fact, those two coins together were, if, if you had them today, they'd be worth two-eighths percent of one penny. That's not much. And she cast those two little coins in there. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, James, y'all come over here. Come over here. And of course, they rushed over there. And he says, I want to tell you that this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Because, because why? He said, because they gave their gifts out of their wealth. They get, let's take the wealth away so that it doesn't just apply to the wealthy. Let's put it on you. He, he, those people, they gave out of their surplus. But this woman, she gave out of what she had to live on. This was her living, her substance. What does that mean to us? Well, it means that the percentage of what this woman gave, the two little copper coins was larger than all the others why because it, her giving was based upon what she had Woo! man based upon what she had she did not give like they gave they gave out of their surplus what she gave hurt her she felt it she gave of her substance. Love is something when you give it away. It's just like a magic penny. You hold it tight, you won't have any. 
lend it, spend it, and you'll have plenty to roll all over the floor. God gives, but he only gives to those that give as well. And gives not, gives not from their surplus. I saw a man worth millions of dollars one day. And if you asked him if he was a Christian, he'd look you right in the eye and say yes. And he would turn people away that couldn't pay their electric bill. Because he said, well, all my money's tied up in mutual funds, stocks and bonds. And there's a penalty if I take any of it out to help you. What a cop out. What a cop out. Owned luxurious homes. Owned big uh, what do you call them? condos and penthouse condos downtown in skyscrapers in Houston. He owned that kind of stuff. And he says, well, I can't help. Are you kidding me? What are we thinking? The moment God gives you something, he gave that to, to you to help you. He gave that to you to supply your need. This is a lesson today. You, you may not swing from the, from the lights up here, but I'll tell you one thing. When you go home, it's going to dust your dinner. You... God never gave you anything so you could put it in a hole or build something for you. He wants you to invest it in his kingdom. And if you're a good investor, he'll keep using you. And if you're not, he'll drop you like a hot potato. You can take what you made and run with it. When you take ownership of whatever God gives you, you have killed the principle of giving because now it became yours. That was the problem that Hezekiah faced. Now it's mine. My house. This is mine. This is, no, 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 that's mine. Yeah, well, uh, well, it's not really mine. But, you know, these guys on TV, you know what they say? Well, yeah, I've got five homes that are worth $35 million. They're not mine. They belong to God. I told a guy one, I shouldn't say I told him. I started to tell him and backed away from it because I knew that if I did, I'd meddle where I didn't believe, didn't believe I needed to be. But I had a guy kept telling me that. He owned all that stuff. And, the, the, and he, he, I don't know how many cars he had. He had a multiplicity of cars. And I was driving an old rag. So one day I made my mind up. I'm going to tell him, look, one of those cars that belongs to God that you're not using, won't you tell God to let me have it so I can use it? And I thought he'd take that wrong. But you, you see how we get around? We circumvent. We say, well, it belongs to God. No man ever needed five homes. No man. Nobody needs 30 cars. There's not a one of you in this building here today that needs a 10,000 square foot home. If you got one, <laughs> I'm right in your yard. God said, I will supply all, all, if he's going to supply all, how much is he not going to supply? I will supply all of your need. I will supply all of your need. I'm not going to supply your selfish desires and wants. I'm going to supply your need. So what you really need to be asking yourself is, do I need a new home? Do I need a new car? Do I need a motorcycle? Do I need a boat? Do I need a vacation? Do I need to go to France? That's good, isn't it? Oh, we're silent as Texas oysters in here. Probably 90% of y'all think, dear God, where's Brother Kylie when we need him? <laughs> Folks, God wants to, he wants to bless us. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. 
I'm going to charge this whole body here today. I have permission to do what I felt was the will of God, so I'm going to do it. If I don't come back, it's been nice knowing you. This church needs to come together. I mean from one side to the other. Come together. Quit bickering. Quit fighting. Quit choosing sides. Dig back through your life. If there's problems there, mend them, fix them. Get the fences fixed. And come together in unity. Because how can two walk together except they agree? And if you're not walking together, you're walking apart. That means you're divided. And a house divided cannot stand. Come together. Clean the house. Get ready. He heard me all the way over yonder. Jacob just walked in. He heard me. God sent him a message over there and said, you better get over there, boy. He's after you. God wants you to come together. And here's what you need to do. You need to say, God, we're going to make a commitment right now. And for some of us, you say, well, we're going to have to give more than others. No, everybody can give equally. And you say, we're going to pay off all our debt. And when we get it paid off, we're not going in debt again. We're going to take what we got and fill it up. And we're going to become the most attractive thing in all of this entire area. And people are going to be drawn to us because we are, we're, we're, we're living the Spirit of God. We're not just talking about it. We're living it. Pay off the church building. Pay off your other debts. Get rid of it. Well, you don't know how much we owe. I don't care how much you owe. If that's your question, I give you this statement. Your father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's amazing it's how much we'll pray for a new home, a new car, new job, new business, new this, new that. God, give us this. God, give us that. But how many of you sit down at night and say, God, what can I do to make this local assembly a functional church of Jesus Christ? What can I do, God, to help pay off all the debt in this church? What can I do, God, that will make us what we're supposed to be? What can I do that miracles will happen here? What can I do that the passing of the shadow of the preacher will heal the sick and raise people up out of wheelchairs? What can I do to make this place a biblical, apostolic, Holy Ghost church of God? And it's not a matter of cost. Quit putting dollar signs on there. Now, I know that you people believe in tithing, most of you. I know you believe in giving, and I am closing. You need to do some cutbacks, cut back on spending. That's what all the financial wizards say. That's what every politician says. Every politician says it. Just like every politician says we shouldn't have taxes. Democrats, Republicans, independents, liars, cheats, blacks, whites, all say the same thing. I'm against taxes. Well, if everybody's against taxes, why do we have taxes? Cut back on spending. If everybody would check their spending, it would amaze you how much money you're spending. You don't have to. Cut back on pleasure. If we're not careful, 
We will fulfill the scripture while we think we're fulfilling the will of God and we become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Cut back on vacations. Cut back on everything and say, God, my new objective. And why are you saying this this morning? Are you saying this because it's hard for the house? I am not. I'm saying this because I was praying last night. I'm saying that because early this morning I knelt down at the bed with tears running down my face and I said, God, help me to say something's going to help these people. After my opening statements about politics, how in the name of God could you look at me through any other eyes than, than eyes of beauty? About your family and your future? I'm telling you how to protect that. And you can fact find me all you want to. Fact find me. See if I got my facts straight. You want it to work? Here's how you give. You cut back, cut back, cut back. And then you apply this principle. Now, most churches in America teach a tithing principle. Tithing simply means 10%. The reason they teach that, you'll be out before noon, so don't worry. Why do they teach tithing? Because it's a Bible principle. It's not something we just dug up. I pay tithe. Tithe simply means 10%. That's, that's what it means, 10. And in the, in the Old Testament, they, they, they were obligated to pay 10% of their income. All their income, the first 10% went to God. It was taken to the temple. The priests used it to keep the temple functioning and to keep the priest alive. That's what that 10% was for. And then in the New Testament, Malachi, the last book of, of the Old Testament, he really hammers about tithing. He says, God says, wherein have you robbed me? And they said, where did we rob you at, God? And they said, well, with tithes and offerings, you robbed me. Notice he injected offerings, tithes and offerings. So something above and beyond the 10%. But then we get to the New Testament and, and, and the pundits come along and they say, well, Jesus never said anything about tithing. Oh, they talked about tithing. He didn't hammer on it. He just simply said, look, these things you ought to do and don't leave the other undone. I say, well, that's only one verse. You don't need but one verse when it's coming out of the mouth of God. Why does it have to be confirmed to you? Who are you? Why should God stop what he's doing and roll the sun back for you? He can if he wants to, but he don't have to. It's in his word. He said, I magnified my word even above my name. If you're not going to accept my word, you're not going to accept nothing. So Jesus did believe in that principle. Jesus said, you render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. He even told him, pay taxes for God's sake. He didn't condemn the IRS. And yet, even further along, Paul comes along and starts talking about giving. And when he started talking about giving, my God, man, he raised the guillotine. He said, look, if first there be a willing mind, it is accepted, not according to what you don't have. He's making it very clear. God's not holding you accountable for what you don't have. He's holding you accountable for what you have. That's what you're responsible for. See, God doesn't care how much money you give. Oh, really? No. Doesn't care. Why? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's his money anyway. How did you get to own that money? It's his money. You know what God cares about? Can I tell you what God cares about? God cares about how much you keep. 
monkey died, show's over. God cares about what you keep. So what's in your wallet? That's mine. I worked hard for it. Really? I had a business executive told me that one day. He said, I worked hard. He said, I worked hard to get what I've got, where I'm at. I went and did this all them years. I thought to myself, yeah, you did, did you? One day I addressed that issue and I said, who gave you the ability to make that money? Those eyes that read those books, you could have been born blind. What would have happened then? So who allowed you? God takes care of the next breath in your body. Don't tell me you did this. You don't do nothing. You don't get nothing unless God says it. God don't, God, don't, God don't just push it all aside and say, hey, somebody else get it. Let me tell you something. The doctor don't decide when you die. God decides when you die. Every breath comes from God. God decides all those things. When you think you decide them, you have lost every, any relationship you ever had with God is gone. Because now you have taken ownership of everything. So Paul said in the second chapter of Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter eight, he talks about that and he starts talking about giving. He says, God wants, doesn't want anybody to be without. So he said, he wants you to give out of your substance, your abundance. I want you to give according to what you have. Not according to what you make every week, but according to what you have. To whom much is given. Somebody help me. Say it again. Much is required. To whom much is given. Much is expected. Much is required. God says, I give you a lot. I expect a lot. No, no, only 10%. No, a lot. Well, they said 10% in the Old Testament. Well, you like that Old Testament now, don't you? Because we got a lot of folks running around saying, I'll drop that little 10% on God this week and then I'm all done. Are you? That's because you didn't read the New Testament. And that's what we live under is the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul said, you can't give on, on just that principle. Jesus said, you should do that, but don't leave the other undone. He said, I, I want you to have mercy, not sacrifice. You don't own nothing. So to whom much is given, much is required. So start the giving principle in your life over today. Go listen to this thing again. You can listen to it over and over again. It won't change. Then look it up in the scripture. Fact find me. Fact find me. I invite you. Your giving should be based upon what you possess. And I'll tell you this. If your goods possess you, your relationship with God is out of, out of touch. They cannot possess you. But we have a lot of people who their possessions possess them. You do not give to live. You live to give. And once the gift is given, there must be total separation from it. You can't give it and then run, follow the ushers down there to see where they spend it. You have to do it by God's plan and you can't take ownership of it. And once you do these things, you cancel the giving principle in your own life. Are you giving from surplus or substance? 
And what is the most important thing in your life? Ask yourself these questions. Remember Freddie Hartcraft, I don't want to die with all that money in the bank. You ever watch I Love Lucy? Everybody liked I Love Lucy back in the 50s. Old Ricky Ricardo couldn't speak good English and when he'd get mad at Lucy and she'd get herself in trouble, I, I tried to bring a picture we could put up this morning up here that y'all could see him doing this, but I couldn't find one. He'd tell Lucy, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. For your actions, you got some splaining to do. I'm going to tell this church this morning, and you need to listen very carefully to me. One of these days, you're going to stand in God's presence. And you got some splaining to do. This is for every man, woman, and child in this church. We have an obligation to God to do his will. And that obligation is to reach these people that are lost. Regardless of what it costs. That's our obligation. Would you stand with me please? What temple are you building? Are you building a temple of brick and mortar? Or are you allowing your body to be the temple of the Holy Ghost? Fifty years ago, a preacher by the name of Kenneth Phillips came to Austin. I actually lived about a block from the little red brick church that he took. had 50 people or so in it. He came from Louisiana and he took that church and he had this vision that he would build a church like no other. Brother Phillips is still alive today. I see him every now and then. We, we're friends. He's almost, well, he is 80 now. Still preaches. Still pastoring a church. He's got probably 1,500, 2,000 people in that local assembly, but he has built multiple churches other than that one. He has another church across town that his son's pastoring that has as many as he does. He's got another one here and another one there. I don't always agree with, with everything that they do, but that's not the point here today. If you've ever heard of a term promised land or churches called promised land, they've been on television, they've been everywhere. It started in that little red brick church with about 50 people. Kenneth Phillips has baptized in America, in Austin, Texas, Kenneth Phillips has baptized 22,000 people in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> 22,000. I don't know of a living apostolic preacher anywhere in America or anywhere else that has ever baptized that many people. And no one else does either. And he's still doing it. Just some time back, Kenneth went down to the University of Texas, which is a cesspool. And every kind of person in the world is down there. And Kenneth went down there and was walking down the drag, they call it, full of homeless people and the weirdest people on earth. He saw a guy that homeless, it looked like he hadn't had a bath in a year, unkempt, just nasty. He's just sitting on the, 
curb right by the gutter just sitting there with his head hanging down like this. And Kenneth went and sat down beside him and asked him his name. And he said, would you go with me? Got him up. Took him to his church. Thousands of people in there. Brought him in. Said, I want you to sit through this service. And the guy was real timid, humble. He sat down in the, in the front chair and Brother Phillips turned around. And he went back and got him. He said, no, no. I want you to sit up here with me. And he took him up on the platform. Smelled. And he set him down in the main chair. And he ministered to these people and he wept. He kept referring to him and held him in his arms. He said, I don't ever want to forget where I came from. Some of you, you don't remember yesterday. You don't remember where you came from. You forgot humble beginnings. And I can tell you that every one of you in this building right now that's here, some, some of you say, well, it's 5 to 12. We've got to get out of here. Leave. But you better think before you leave this service. It may be a long time before you're in another one like this. You can't remember where you came from. How old are you now? I know when we get older, we don't care. We don't care if they ask us how old we are. 71 next month. 71. And... I don't want to forget that day that God found me with a cigar in my mouth, cussing, drinking and taking stuff, lying, chasing women, not taking care of my family, my wife. I was a scoundrel. God took time to send somebody to get me. And every one of you, where might you be? if not for the mercy of God. You think you did all this yourself? You're sadly mistaken. You couldn't have done anything if God didn't let you. Please remember that. I hope that you never open your wallet again or your purse or a checkbook without first saying, God, am I going to give today from my surplus? Or am I going to give from my substance? Am I going to keep more for me than I give to you? Am I going to put you on hold? Not just with your money. I hope when you get up to go to work. It's amazing. People will go to work religiously. Lay out a church. Well, we go to church a lot. You don't go to church enough. We ought to be having services on Sunday night. Every church ought to have a Sunday night service. They ought to have services during the week. Monday, Wednesdays. We ought to have a youth service set aside on a Friday or a Saturday. We ought to do all the services we could. Why? Because we're in competition. We're in competition. The world's trying to get us. The devil wants your children. He wants to break up your home. So why would we want to get less of God? We need more of God. So I hope that you give to God from your substance of your soul too. 
Because God said in his word, I would that you be in health and prosper. But he didn't stop there. He said, I want you to be healthy and I want you to prosper. But I want it to be according to how your soul prospers. How's your soul today? How's your soul today? Is your soul rich or is it poor? Does it have a little or does it have a lot? How's your soul? Your soul determines not only the giving of your time, but the giving of whatever you have. Maybe we should have taken an offering up after service instead of before service. Wouldn't it be something if in a short time from today, y'all could have a, one of those services where they burn the mortgage? Would you like to burn the mortgage? Well, then I ask you with this many people, why in the name of God don't you? Why don't you? Well, I can't give. I'm giving all the money. How much she give? Well, I can tell you whatever she gives, it'll be more than you give. Whatever she gives will be more than you give. You get Social Security? Yes. Hers is more than yours. If her Social Security is anything like mine, whoo, son. <laughs> it takes one Social Security check of mine to come up here and preach a weekend and go home. The whole check, it's gone. So, you see, when you give on the principle of what you have instead of a percentage, well, I've got it set up. I give 10% in tithe and then I give another 10% in offering. Don't get locked into numbers. Do it like Paul said. He said, I want your abundance to supply their need because the day may come that their abundance will supply your need. So everybody needs to do their part to whom much is given. Much is required. Your number one focus, if you're a member of this church today, should be, God, we're going to get rid of our debt because we don't know what we're facing in the future. And for the welfare and the benefit of our children and our families, we're not going to have that cloud hanging over us when it comes to the showdown. We're we're going to be able to serve God. We're going to be able to worship God. We're not going to have to take all of that money and give it to a bank or an institution when we got people that are hungry. So what's in your wallet? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have to say that I am speechless, Lord. I know, God, I know that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. We need to know the right way, Lord. We need to move like we've never moved before. God, are we so naive, Lord, that we can't see the handwriting on the wall? This affects all of us, God. We don't have no idea right now, Lord, what our future is as as far as this country goes. That all of these benefits that we've reaped, 
And all of these privileges that we've had for all these years are now in jeopardy. Can we live without them, God? Are we spiritual enough that we can stand on our own two feet? If our lifestyles are dramatically affected by what's happening in our world, can we survive? Can we still reach the lost? Can we still take care of the widow? Can we still help the orphan? Can we still help the poor? God, we have to be in that position. If we're not in that position, we can't please you. And we have to please you. Help us. Help us to be like you. Help us to be like you, God. Touch these people. It's 12 o'clock. If you need to go, you may go. If you'd like to pray, you may pray. If you'd like to give, you may give. If you'd like to forgive, please do that right now. Check your life out from the top to the bottom, from the inside out. Find out if there's anything, anything, anything. What possessed those people in Exodus to do what they did? I don't know. But in the second chapter, in the third chapter, in the fourth chapter of Acts, it happened again. Fourth chapter of Acts, they were threatened to kill them. Going to beat them and punish them if they didn't stop mentioning the name of Jesus. And when they turned them loose after they threatened them, they went out and started preaching again on the streets. And all at once the place, they met together and the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost again. Happened again, just like the Pentecost. And the Bible said that with that, people started coming and giving them land and money. Just everything. They just started laying it at the apostles' feet to keep that church functioning. To keep the body functioning. If you don't do it, no one will. But maybe you're the catalyst. So you have an option. You can do it or not do it. If you want to pray, please come and pray. If you want to make a commitment, please come and make a commitment. If you want to leave and fellowship, you may do that. Because unless there's something else they want to do, you're dismissed. In the fear of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.